With us once again is Lisa Headley, the founder and creator of the Mayflower Spa, with another edition of Lisa Headley's Strategies for Dealing with Stress. Hello, Lisa. Hey, how you doing? Okay, do we get an update <laughs> from Fluville? Peachy. Oh, Fluville is just fine. Good. It's, you know, recovered nicely and getting better and all that kind of good stuff, and it's just the land of misinformation, and I've put it out of my head now. I've put it out of my head because I have a good friend. I, because everything's relative. I have a good friend who is young. She's in her um, early 40s who keeled over at a screening with a brain aneurysm, read as Natasha Richardson. They rushed her to the hospital, unlike Natasha Richardson, and took half her brain out, And I mean, no, no kidding, and put it in her abdomen for safekeeping whilst they do what needs to be done, and then in a couple of weeks they'll put it back. And she is indomitable. She's laughing and spirited and just got out of the ICU and I I I just had to stop and really really think about that and think about we we've touched on this in different ways we've never really talked about it the fact that people's challenges and their struggles and what stresses them out are individual to them and some people have this amazing capacity just not to be stressed out by anything. And I would call that story I just told, like, maybe the most frightening thing that could happen to anybody, right? Striking at the core of your ability to function. And this person is just indomitable. And for other people, and, and this is why I'm saying this, for other people, very little things can set them off. And for if you look at that, generally speaking, what I've just said, that is constitutional for, for people. At some bottom line level, it is constitutional how much stress somebody can take before they go, okay, I quit, I give up, I can't deal with this. There, is, there are constitutional factors which inform people's resilience. And so, you know, a lot of us, we look at different kinds of people with different kinds of challenges and say, wow, I would never be able to do that. And I always say, you never know what you'll be able to do until you're in the situation trying to do it. But the flip side of that is that some people are just constitutionally more edgy, more, you know, less able to deal with what life throws at them. And for those people, <laughs> strategies for dealing with stress are much more important than they are for people who have endless reserves of resilience. Do you because think that people know what their resilience level is? No, I don't think so. I think, as I said, people think, oh, I could never do that. I could never handle myself that way. That would never, you know. And you don't really know what would happen in any given situation until you're in it. You know, I, I we've probably talked about this. I have a disabled child and, or a child that struggles with a disability. And if, if somebody had told me I was going to have that, my perception of what it would have been and my perception of my reaction would have been absolutely completely different from what it has been. Because everything's organic, it's all an organic process of feeling your way into how much you can handle and what you can and can't do in life. And really, overthinking that stuff is not helpful. You know, overthinking in advance, what can I handle or not handle, doesn't help you because you just don't know. So um, where I was really going with this was don't stress yourself out in advance of things. That, that was right. my main thought process for today. There, well, there, the, there, there is the whole I mean, phalanx of anticipatory suffering, anticipatory or prophylactic right. suffering. Yeah, and people are doing it with the flu right and left right now. 
Right. And so that's why I, I was thinking about all this, and, and, you know, we've now brought it full circle back to the flu. But it was, you know, before my own child had it, I was thinking, oh, my God, that's really scary. I don't know what I'm going You know, should I stockpile Tamiflu? But the reality of it is always different than that which you imagine it's going to be. And you have to do a lot of imagining what you need it to be to make it work, to get through it, right? You know, you just got to kind of say, okay, I am not going to let this get me down. I'm not going to let this freak me out. And I, who am just, I'm, in particular, I get anxious about illness. And so, you know, if someone's scratching their head because their kid had lice, I figure I have lice too. I just, I'm like, a lot of us are like that. And I always have to stop myself and I always have to call it what you want, meditate, put some energy on, think about, whatever you want to cogitate upon, <laughs> whatever you well, want. The re, the, the re, I'm, I'm actually going to stop you because um, this may be too personal, but I think that a lot of people do um, get wound up, and I would love to know how you stop yourself. Well, I call it what you will, meditate, cogitation, thinking. I tend to overthink everything. So what I have to do is not worry something to death, but I have to think very hard about how to calm the thought down. So you see my difference? Because my natural tendency would be to think it through, talk it through, tell everybody 12 things and listen to everybody's answer, and not because I'm looking for an answer from them, but because I just have to put it all in my hopper. I have to hop it. I have to hop it for a while, and then I can come up with a conclusion. And I frequently have to stop myself from that neurotic process. And the only way I personally know how to stop myself from that neurotic process is to, to practice a sitting kind of a meditation, usually using mantra, because for me that calms my mind the quickest. And since I live in Sanskrit yoga land, I happen to use Sanskrit mantra. So, for example, when I was dealing with this thing about the flu, there's a great healing mantra that's called the Mahatmanjaya mantra. And, you know, these are thousand-year-old sequences of sounds, if you want to think of them that way, really, because that's what they are. Um, so they hold a lot of meaning in that. They've been used in this way for centuries. Um, so a lot of people put a lot of thought and process into them. And furthermore, I think of it as something that's going to help me get my thoughts straight in terms of life happens. You can't really change the outcome once a certain series of things are put into play. So when the ripe fruit is ripe, it's going to fall off that tree naturally on its own. That's what that mantra is actually about. It's about how the cucumber grows very big and then naturally falls off. And it's, it's called the death-defying mantra. So what I'm saying is it has a lot of energy on it. The way when people do Hail Marys, that has a lot of energy on it. Um, or the way, I don't know, sometimes people have funny little things they hum or maybe a lullaby that your parents sang to you that calms you down whatever it is. So that's what I tend to do, is sit with whatever it is that's making me neurotic. Because the minute I start to feel that, that frenzy, neurotic thing that I can get into, I have to stop myself. Because I know from experience that it's not productive. And how did you teach... Uh, I'm just curious, how, how did you teach yourself to stop yourself? Did something because happen I, that you just got so bad one day that you went, I can't do this anymore? No, no. Or was it really happened to me... It's part of my yoga thing. It's part of studying all of these techniques and these strategies and going through various types of programs around it. You know, not only my yoga teacher training, but my Ayurvedic training and my psychological training and different things that I've been 
dipping into as part of my sort of self-education in this field for years, for 25 of them, to be precise. So I have a lot of movement exercises that I've learned and know. So I have felt I can now feel in my own body what's going to work for me, and I play with different things with different clients, knowing this might work. And if it doesn't, I go, okay, that didn't work, but here's another thing that might work. So I, you know, I just have a kind of stable of techniques at this point that, that are sort of home-tested, if you will. <laughs> it's like the no, absolutely. Lisa Hadley are there, of approval. Are there common denominators? I'm sorry. In other words, are there certain, t- like, for example, uh, when we were talking about different uh, breathing practices for different people, you know, mm-hmm. you said that uh, high-energy people should, you know, basically, I, I hope I've got this right, you know, sit down and slow themselves down for a few minutes, whereas um, lower-energy people should make a point of getting up and making their practice yeah. a little yeah. more active. Yeah. Are there, uh, you know, d- does it divide into, okay, I get anxious, you know, at, at, at the drop of a, I, I can feel the anxiety starting, you know, and, and my, my, I hold mine in my solar plexus, well, I hold mine in my brain, and I start, you know, spitting out scenarios. Are there different things for, does it divide that way is what I'm asking? Oh, sure. I mean, it divides that way in as much as there are some kinds of, we can go to breathing techniques, for example. There are some kind of breathing techniques where you can literally think of it as working with energy with me. I mean, just humor me. But, you know, you can do, well, I'll use myself as an example. I, I, um, I do tend to overthink things. So I, I can feel that just sort of energy in my brain, 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 brain. And I really want to live more in my intuition so that I can balance that out you know, get out of the, the intellectualizing of things and put it back into some more natural things. So there, what we think of, the connection is between the heart and the mind. So the heart is the more intuitive kind of playground, if you will, as opposed to the active intellectual mind. So in that sense, I can do breathing techniques where I breathe into my solar plexus and out. So I can do some purifying breath in that sense. And then I can breathe up from my heart to my head and back again and out. So just these kind of focused exercises where I am both literally and figuratively working to move energy around and get my brain to stop fixating and focusing so much. So that's just, those are a couple of quick, what we call pranayama kinds of exercises that I do and I do use them when I feel like I'm getting overthinking, 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 and I really just need to, you know how people say if I think on it before I go to sleep, I'll be able to wake up with the answer. I I frequently want to put myself back in that kind of an intuitive place, and I have to get out of my intellectual thinking mind. So, yes, I know a series of things that I can do to help myself get to that place. All right, and what about people who are absolutely immobilized by the situation? Well, if you're really, truly, like, people, well, do you mean, like, people who get really depressed and then they're stuck? No, I, I mean more like, you know, just, just seized, uh, temporarily paralyzed. Become first first temporarily paralyzed and then move into high chatter? Sure, sure, because I don't always catch it in time. Okay. So you know, what it, ha- if... it happens. Stuff happens. There's, and, and stuff piles on, and you just, that's why you have to have the toolbox. I was thinking, it was so funny, I was playing tennis this morning, and I, I, inadvertently said, I mean, I hit a couple of bad shots at net, and I said, whoops, those aren't in my toolbox today. And I thought, hmm, that's exactly what I think of in terms of the things we're talking about right now, here, you and I, is it's a toolbox. 
and you have to have different tools and you have to know how to use them. And knowing how to use them intellectually and having them at your real disposal in a pinch when you're immobilized are very different things. And the difference is the amount of practice you've had with them. And that's just it. And if you haven't had that much practice with them, you can be helped by someone that knows what you need and how to do it. So, you know, at a certain point, the goal, my goal working with clients and certainly thinking about how I will work with them the more information I get is to help people build up a toolbox so they don't need me at a certain point. It may be years down the road that they don't need somebody. But wouldn't it be nice for everybody to move towards that goal of having, you know, these not only having the tools, but having the intuition and the knowledge and the self-knowledge of how, when, why, and, and things that you can use on yourself to replace the Xanax, as we were talking about last week. But in the meantime, for most people, because most people don't spend a huge amount of time practicing these things, it's really helpful to have people around you who know how to help you get what you need. So, you know, that's that's that. And that's why I'm so excited that, you know, my class in my Ayurvedic studies class, for example, has 40 people in it. Well, 40 of those people, who knows how many will really be good at practice, good practitioners, who knows? But let's assume 20 of them will be right. excellent practitioners in the community. That's 20 more people who are educated in a series of techniques to help people get out of their own way <laughs> and live more smoothly and rhythmically and happily in their life. You know, my one thing I always remind myself, always, 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 and this is one of those signposts when life is getting a little bit into a spin of out of control. If it's not smooth, if it's not flowing smoothly, if you're hitting a lot of resistance, back up and try again. You know, back up and see which path you could take slightly differently and try again. This pertains, for example, to relationships with people. If you find that you're constantly butting heads with somebody, and particularly if it's a family member because you can't really get away from them, they're your family, you're butting heads, you're butting heads, you're butting heads, step back and figure out how, and often a technique for this is to put yourself in their shoes, which is hard to do when you're mad at somebody, but put yourself in their shoes. Try and be empathic and then try and get back to a conversation where you can ease up what you perceive as their tension so that you can each let each other go your own way. If you're hitting a lot of resistance, you have to switch up the game. If it's not working, try a different strategy. So that pertains to when you're getting overly anxious. It also pertains, as I say, to relationships. I mean, these are two different conversations, but the principles are always the same. The principles oh, yeah. of flow in life, how to be happier in your life, how to feel better, is path of least resistance. Go with the flow. And that, that's a huge, if you can start to think that way, and think, when I hit these roadblocks, I've got to learn how to, if I can't, start to chip away at them. Because a lot of times it requires work to chip away at things. You can't just say, well, I'm just not going to deal with that one. Because sometimes these are profound emotional issues. You have to deal with it to get beyond it. You have to digest it to get beyond it. But sometimes, especially when it's another person in your way or an illness that you really can't control at this point because it's manifest, you're just going to have to attack it from a different angle, a different set of words, a different set of feelings, emotions whatever it takes, so that you're not just hitting your head against a wall. And frequently, just to go back to what we were talking about, when people get stuck and anxious, you're just hitting you up against the constant anxiety and the thing that's making you anxious, and it's just at 
astronomical. It's exponential. It just it makes you more and more and more and more and more anxious. So you've got to find a way to step back and address the situation differently. So, you know, my, my biggest message of the day in that sense is path of least resistance. When something feels really hard, it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, right. you know, that's just what it is. So back to the flu question, it felt really hard for me to cope with and deal with the idea that my entire family was going to get the flu and not knowing what it was going to do to them. So I had to step back and employ, as I said, mantra that I knew would help me feel better, that I could sort of say, okay, I've done everything I can do to address the way illness happens in life and in the world, and I've I've really faced that piece head on. And so the mantra works in several ways. It calms you down because literally the vibration and the repetition literally calms down your nervous system. But I also had that little trick in there of feeling like I had placed my faith and my energy in something that had helped other people before. And that just helps. That's, that's the sort of spirituality, faith side of things that everybody has to find their own comfort zone with. And for some people, it's real religious pursuits. It's, you know, go to church, pray. For some people, it's just a moment of silence for themselves. You know, it's whatever it is for people. But not to be um, underestimated, that piece of finding a thing you can put your faith in and letting that strength buoy you as well. Because nothing is solvable with one simple answer. That roadblock is not movable by one simple thing. Like, oh, gee, if you start doing yoga, you're going to forget yoga. If you start you know, being healthier, you're going to solve all your problems. It doesn't work that way. It has to be a toolbox full of different elements and ideas and flexibility and all those different things that can help you say, oh, the world isn't such a hard place all the time. Right, and but as with all toolboxes, you have to you know you you have to start somewhere. Yeah, but you know what I love? I, I have this great toolbox idea. The other day I was looking, um, I was online and I was I saw this tool that there is online where you can take a picture of your a photograph of a room, and then you have a color pa- palette and you can literally paint the room. You can see what it would look like painted in different colors. Oh, that's yep. <laughs> so I was thinking that's a very good you know metaphor. It's a good analogy for what we're talking about because you need to be able to do that. You need to be able to step back enough and say, here's what it looks like if I try this. Here's what it looks like if I try that. That's really revolting. I won't go there. <laughs> that looks right. like something or, I can handle. It's or, very or, useful. Or build, your, or build your own toolbox. Now, I don't know why I feel the need to mention it, but I, for 13 minutes now, I've been, I've been ready to. So I'm just going to bring in... You and I are very careful not to be too woo-woo-y about these things. Mm-hmm. And you're married to someone who isn't woo-woo-y at all. Not necessarily, but yes. Well, no, is, Keep is going. he... What? Keep going. Well, what I'm trying to figure out is how do you... How do you speak to someone who basically, when they hear the word meditation, you know, say, well, this isn't for me? Oh, yeah, well, that wouldn't be my my husband, but, um, oh, I deal with that all the time. Right, all and so that's time. what I'm... So you find something, you keep asking questions until you figure out what thing works for somebody. So if they really are absolutely, they can't stand the thought of sitting and meditating, then you give them some other path. You find out that maybe they walk, you know, for exercise. So then you start to give them, okay, when next time you're walking, 
focus on how many different bird sounds you can hear. You know, you start to get them to play with their mind, to work with controlling their mind, because that's what you're doing in meditation, is you're learning to rein in the activities of your mind so that it can get quieter and you can go deeper. So I have done that before. Where I, I like, um, oh, God, that wasn't even the best example. The best example is someone I know who just smokes a mile a minute, can't sit still, She's a writer, and she writes about health issues. And I'm always like, how do you do that? She can't, like, she's on the treadmill for five minutes, and then she wants to go try spinning class, and then she wants to go, and and I think, oh, my, and you feel like it's almost a disservice to to her, I mean, to you, that she wants to write about the world of meditation, you know, for example. So that was a particularly interesting exercise. And the answer is you have to get into their head. You have to get into people's heads and figure out, how you can translate the concept of meditation. Now, I mean, you know, then there's people that are less extreme than that who they really want to figure out how to attack these things and they just don't know how. And for those people, I work very cautiously, but I do start with some yoga body asana because you can help people get to a place of a quieter mind pretty quickly if you get their body in the flow of um, some very specific kind of work where their Mm -hmm. breath starts to get into rhythm with the the movements that their body's making. And again, if they're a very active mind kind of person, then you can do practice with them that they won't feel like is anything different. And it, it, you know, it revs them up so they feel like they're getting what they need. But then you sneak in some of the challenges. People that are very overactive, for example, they really rise to the occasion of see if you can get your breath to be equal at the beginning and the end while you're doing that incredibly difficult <laughs> blah 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 so you're focusing their mind while their body's getting what it needs and by the end of that practice most people can sit for a minute or two in a guided meditation where I don't shut up in other words but right. keep the attachment to them I mean I hate to say no I won't say it like this but I'm going to give you a dog training analogy you can give me a dog training. You've got, you got you a couple minutes. A dog, Go ahead. And you do the heel thing. I know this because I just trained a dog. And as I was training the dog, I thought, God, this is what I do to myself while I'm practicing sometimes. I say heel, heel, and you keep their mind in your, you keep them attached to you. You keep the mind attached to what you're saying at all times. And the minute you lose them, they're gone. It's exactly the same thing with the mind that needs to be tamed and calmed. And for some people who are very active and resistant and don't want to hear about those icky, wooey words, you just keep them attached to you as you are getting them to do what you know is going to be good for them. So that's my answer to that. If someone's really willing to jump on board, and if they're just like, oh, please, none of that's for me, well, then you find some other things to do that really don't have the trappings of yoga around them. Right, and what what I love is take a walk in and how many different bird sounds. I mean, for example, that that, that was exactly, I I remember, and I am now going to use up the last of your time, sorry. Please. Um, Someone who... uh, you, you know, he, he he and I were perfectly compatible in having an absolutely um, intelligent conversation on a unrelated topic when he suddenly realized that I was an astrologer and basically said, you know, I, I can't talk to you. I don't believe that. <laughs> exactly. And I was, you know, so taken aback that, that I mean, we, we were fine. We were fine. There hadn't been a, a planet name or anything. Right. Nothing. Well, but, but bad you know, people's prejudices, and they're very, very strong. 
Especially and, in this arena. Oh, completely. And also because it gets confused with spirituality, and it gets confused, and we could talk about that more, too. But anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Once again, thank you very much, and uh, there's a lot of good information in here. This has been Lisa Headley, the founder and creator of the Mayflower Spa, Lisa Headley's Strategies for Dealing with Stress.